Thanks for checking out the Summit Church Podcast. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. in North Canton, Ohio. Hit subscribe to get our weekly sermons or go to thesummit.life to get more information. God, I thank you for the opportunity to, to sing boldly. Lift your name high. I pray this time, Lord, as we take a look at your word, as we look at James, God, I pray that, that you would just do an incredible work in us, Lord, because what each and every one of us needs is wisdom. We don't just need plain old knowledge. We need godly wisdom to guide our lives. And I just prayed, Lord, this morning that you would give me the words to say, that you would speak to our hearts, that your spirit would change us from the inside. God, we thank you for what you're going to do through your word. And we ask all things in your name. Amen. I am a child of the 80s. Yes. Everyone unite, child of the 80s. It's awesome, right? I remember Sundays. uh, What a... Interesting child I was, but I, I specifically remember coming home from church. And growing up those years, I remember there's the same things I watched on TV every Sunday. First, WWF. No, not E, come on. Way before that. Yeah, where, where else could I see Macho Man? I wanted to get into the macho madness, the Hulkamania. But after all the chaos of WWF, I've discovered this show. And uh, I, I really just got into it. I really loved it. It's really shaped the type of stuff I enjoy now uh, as an adult. Uh, you ever seen the show Kung Fu with David Carradine? Whoa. The show blew my mind. Loved it. I have no idea why. I think it was a kid I was enamored with people flying across the screen, kicking each other. Um, that's why, you know, I love John Wick. I mean, I just want people beating, shooting. I just love that kind of stuff. Um, I think it all came back to Kung Fu. And, and the weird part about it is I kind of formed my idea of wisdom from Kung Fu. Because who had the wisdom in Kung Fu? It's the guy way up in the mountains, the long beard. He had the wisdom. And when you needed to know and you needed guidance, you would go to the old master. You know, with the great Fu Manchu, long beard, loved it, loved it so much. But as I got older, I came to realize what I understood as a child was not right, right? Age And wisdom is not an equation, right? Just because you're old, older, seasoned, whatever you want to call it, does not make you wise. And as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that wisdom can be found at a very young age. You can have wisdom at a very young age. Wisdom plays an important part in who we are, the decisions we make, the things that we go through. And I I think the greatest desire we can have 
is to be people that pursue, desire, want godly wisdom. And we're going to start with that this morning. We've been going through the book of James. Every week, Tom has opened up with a great question that James asks us and challenges us. They've been great thoughts, great resolutions and decisions we need to make in our lives. But I want to, I want to step back because when it comes to the topic of wisdom, I think it's been a year or so now, we did a very in-depth study on the wisest man in the Bible. And I remember asking this, who's the wisest man in the Bible? Everybody's like, Jesus. I'm like, okay, you're cheating now. But who is named as the wisest man in the Bible? And his name is Solomon. Yes, very good. Solomon, he is the guy that that God went to in a dream and says, I'll give you anything you want. Just tell me what you want. You can have anything. And Solomon, amazing. I'd be like, I would like all the money in the world. That would be awesome. But Solomon goes, no, I want wisdom. I want to be the kind of king that has good, wise choices, makes godly decisions, because I'm over a nation. I'm like, wow, that... That's pretty deep. That's pretty heavy. I I don't think I would have had that thought process had someone given me that kind of power, that kind of authority. Solomon is is a very interesting study because early on in his life, you read the story, and, and we did this through the men's Bible study. It's an incredible read to read that the man who is building the temple, the man who is building these palaces had such incredible wisdom and guidance I don't know if you've been past a construction zone, but they are not quiet, right? They are very loud. But it said that throughout the land where all of this amazing construction was happening, because of Solomon's wisdom, it was quiet. I don't know about you, I I love quiet. I thrive in quiet. I'm not a boisterous person. I, I love I love silence. It's wonderful. But it's amazing. And the wisdom of Solomon. So early on in his life, Solomon gave us the the book of Proverbs. Let me just read you a little bit. Proverbs chapter 2, 9 through 11. He's speaking of wisdom. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair. You will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices watch over you, and understanding will keep you safe. As a parent, I have teenagers. I remember what I was like then. Scares me to death. When the greatest thing I want for my kids is wisdom. Because they could have all the money and all the success in the world and you could see their lives fall apart. We see that all the time in in the papers. But the greatest thing you can achieve, the greatest thing you could grasp onto is the wisdom of God in our lives. The amazing story of Solomon doesn't end with this amazing book of Proverbs. At some point... Solomon walks away from the wisdom of God. And he begins, he, begin, he begins making bad decisions. I, 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 you don't get the idea of where exactly to pinpoint it. Perhaps it was around wife 
20 or 30. I was probably around wife two. When, when he began making decisions that, that God said no and Solomon said, that, that's okay, I'm going to do it my way. So there is a period of time in Solomon's life where he filled his life with whatever he wanted. He could, right? He had all the money. He had all the success. So he gained as much money as he could. He worked as hard as he could. He wanted a woman, took that woman and married her. Craziness. The life that Solomon lived, we cannot begin to fathom that kind of life. But Solomon is just a great picture for us of Godly wisdom at one end and extreme excess at the other end. One who just took wisdom, threw it out the door, and I'm going to fill my life with whatever I want, whenever I want, do whatever I want. And what I appreciate is he gave us another book, Ecclesiastes. It's a really good read. You start with one, you go to the other, and you can see the journey of what 30 years will do to someone, especially when they struggle so much and they go through so much dealing with wisdom. Listen, listen to the end of Ecclesiastes. It's a powerful book, and he ends this book, and he says that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God, obey his commandments, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for every, everything we do, including the secret thing, whether good or bad. Wisdom plays such an important part of our lives. I don't know why it took so long for me to realize it, I don't know if, if, if everyone here grasps that. But wisdom in, in the decisions we make, what we surround our life with, what is going on in our hearts, changes everything. Wisdom is found in God. Psalm 104, 24, Jeremiah 10, 7 and 12 talks about in God's wisdom, he founded the world. And I, I would say, what a tremendous amount of wisdom in God's creation because of how intricately everything works together. Nothing is by accident. Everything is on purpose by a God who knows and understands things far greater than we do. How carefully our bodies are knit together. How delicate the balances is in, in the world around us. Well, James gives us two different camps here. James chapter three, we're gonna go through 13 through 18. He gives us two different camps. The first he opens up is, is godly wisdom. Wisdom for those who say, yes, there is a God. I want what he wants. I want my life and my job, my family and everything to follow after him. Then he gives what I call earthly or false wisdom. This is a person that says, there is no God. There is no creator. I'm going to live life on my own terms. I am going to follow what I want. I'm going to live my truth. That's the moniker of today. I hear it all the time. I want to live my truth. 
The beauty of what James does for us here is he, he deals with both of these and he gives us a motivation, the characteristics of each one, and he gives us the results of each one. And we're going to take a look at that. We're going to go through this and we're going to take a look and see what James has to say. Because it's very important. It affects everything that we do. Because we have two choices every time. Am I going to do it my way? Or am I going to do it God's way? And God is clear. God is explicit in how he calls us to live. And how he calls us to make decisions. I would give copious amounts of money to go back to my younger self. And slap myself across the face. And help me to realize that early on. Because my life at a younger age was filled with a lot of foolish, earthly, and false wisdom. Because I felt my way was the right way. I, 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 God didn't need to tell me what to do. I knew, I understood, I was going to deal with it in my own terms. There was a motivation, there was a characteristic of it. And of course, there was a result. James opens up and he, he gives us a taste. He gives us a little bitty taste of godly wisdom. Just, just a small bite to wet the palate before he goes into false wisdom. And then he comes and turns back into godly wisdom. And I appreciate this taste because it just whets your appetite. James 3.13 said, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness and wisdom. So his taste is asking you the question. Do you think you're wise? Are you someone who thinks that you are a person of wisdom? He is calling you to live out that godly wisdom if that is true. So the question comes, first off, what is wisdom? If wisdom is not the old man in the mountain with the big long beard, what exactly is wisdom? And wisdom is this. Wisdom is actually action. It is a careful application of knowledge into our personal lives. Knowledge gained from God's word. That is wisdom. Understanding is a specialized knowledge. It's like that of the skilled tradesman or the professional. So your knowledge based on guidance and, and obeying God's word and then that specialized guidance of God's word affects and directs everything you knew. And what James, James is saying here is if you think you're wise, live it out, right? If you're gonna follow after God, don't be shy, don't be quiet, live it out in everything you do. He, he says, you know, if, if you think you're wise, you need to show it in your works in the meekness of wisdom. And, and then this word meek here it, it is not what we tend to think it is. Because when, when I originally heard meekness, I, I was thinking of, of puppies and kitties, right? <laughs> They're so cute and so precious and meek and awesome, that, that is the, the warped idea I had in my mind for what meekness is. But you do a little study and you realize meekness 
is tremendous strength under control. Every pastor I've seen tends to equate this to horses. Horses are tremendously strong and they're under the control of the one riding them. The problem is, is that one doesn't jive with me much because I have not ridden a horse to church in a while, nor have I traveled around town. It just does not fix in my mind. So I racked my brain trying to think of another way to bring out meekness to you. And what I came up with, it, it could be not perfect. It's not perfect, I'll just say that. But to me, an incredible picture of power under control is the war-trained German shepherd. You ever seen a soldier go out with the German shepherd perched between his legs and everywhere the soldier steps, the the dog is right there with him. You ever seen that? It is pretty incredible to watch. Those are absolutely amazing dogs because they can say, go, take down the bad guy. They have tremendous strength. At the same time, you could let a young child come up and pet them and love them. It is tremendous strength under control. Under control of the master, that soldier, who sees what's going on in the world around him and has the ability to point out and direct where the needs are for that animal that that harnesses all that power. And as soon as that, that soldier says go, that dog explodes into action and does whatever he's told. That is what's in my mind when I think of meekness. Jesus is called meek. Jesus was not a puppy or a kitty, right? Jesus was a man of tremendous power and authority. He's the man who goes in and flips the tables for the money changers in the temple. Jesus is meek because his one goal was to do the will of the Father. And when the Father said go, he went. He wanted to obey. He wanted to give us the example of how we are to live our lives under the direction of God the Father. So there are two kinds of wisdom. True wisdom, false wisdom. Let's let's look at the verses first and then we'll start pulling them apart. First we'll look at godly wisdom, true wisdom. Here's what he says, start again in 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, Good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. Then he goes on and he gives us earthly wisdom or false wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be wise to the truth. Be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. 
I want to start with, with a, a quote by Warren Wearsby. I love Warren Wearsby, a great Bible teacher. Warren Wearsby says, Who we are is what we live, and what we live is what we sow. And what, what he's saying is who we are is in our hearts. It's the essence of who we are. And it's how we are going to live out our lives. So in the essence of what I believe and understand of what my faith is in, I am going to live that out. And I'm going to sow that into all the areas of my life. He is so right in that. Who we are is how we're going to live. And how we live is what we are going to sow. Jesus understood the sensitivity of man's heart. He grasped how tenuous our hearts are for sin and selfishness. Listen to Matthew 15, 18, and 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. That, that harkens back to last week with what Tom talked about, the power of the tongue. It comes from the heart. This defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. He understands the sin that is in every single heart and how that clouds the decisions we make. That's why what James is doing here is so important because he understands the heart as well and what direction we are going to be taken in the decisions we make. Listen to Paul. Paul understands the importance of the heart. Romans 10. If you openly declare Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you were made right with God and it is openly declaring your faith that you will be saved. Our heart is so important. Yes, I, I'm not talking about the blood pumping muscle in our chest. It's the essence of who we are, the decisions we make. What leads us into making decisions that can destroy our marriage or decisions to build our marriage. Make decisions in our lives about the decisions we make when we're doing our schoolwork. Am I going to be the type of person that cheats? Or am I going to be the type of person who is honest and right and, and works hard to receive everything that I have? That is all based in wisdom. Well, let's start with false wisdom. James 13, 14 says, but you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. Jealousy is a discontent, an ill will seeing what other people have, right? But it says bitter jealousy. And it's that idea that you're resentful and you're seething, so you're seeing what others have. Your anger, you're bitter, you're jealous, and this is an orientating part of your life that guides you. Constantly looking at what others have, constantly having to grasp, well, they got that, I think I've gotta have that too. Oh man, they've got that nice car, next what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a car myself. Bitter jealousy, angry 
never satisfied. Selfish ambition. This is a, a deep personal desire to promote oneself and one's personal concerns without any concern of God and the needs of others. My best illustration is Washington. You know what I'm saying? Self-promotion, selfish ambition, people who care nothing about what the others want, but it's all about me attaining what I want and getting the authority that I want and the power that I want. And this is the guiding star of their life. He goes further. Another motivation for that is, is boasting and arrogance. This is a life filled with bragging. Building themselves up constantly because they want to share with everybody their wealth, their status, their possession, their knowledge. This is the foundation of earthly wisdom, the motivation behind it. Jealousy, selfish ambition, pride and boasting, all of these things pull together. And this is what pulls forward and pushes forward earthly wisdom. So what are the characteristics? And here, here's a better question. How can I spot false wisdom in my life? Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So let's take a look at earthly. Earthly is only concerned with what is around us, what is here and now. This is it. There's no eternity in the equation, in the equation at all. It's all based on what makes me happy in the moment. And the question is, if it's all concerned with what makes me happy in the moment, do I really truly know what makes me happy? Cuz I don't know about you, but that changes often. Right? A new pair of shoes in the moment could make me happy. Because my tennis shoes aren't fitting me right. Buying myself a new weapon for my arsenal would make me happy because he's got a really cool gun. It all changes from moment to moment. It is very in the moment. And the thing is, it, it's always something more, right? Let, let's, let's rewind a little bit. I'll use myself as an example. I'm a great example of bad wisdom, so let's start with me. For me, I was dating in high school, and it was always the next girl was gonna make me happy, right? If I just go out with them, if I just have them in my life, if I just, if, if she was the center of my world, oh my goodness, my life is going to be happy. And I get the relationship and I'm with that person. Am I, am I ever truly, fully happy with them? No, I, I'm really not. God gave me a tremendous gift in bringing Kelly into my life. So I, I said to myself, if I just marry her, I am going to be truly happy. Now, don't get me wrong. I, have to, <laughs> I am very happy in my marriage. I say, I'm going home with her today, hopefully, if she allows me. No, no. If, if I'm thinking that is going to make me fully contented, 
I'm, I'm wrong because my basis of happiness is a person who has as many ups and downs as I do. So then you get into marriage and you realize that marriage is not simple. It is not easy, but actually takes a tremendous amount of work. And you look and go, if I'm just happy, I'm going to have a child. That's going to make me happy. And then at one in the morning with poop and throw up everywhere, you're like, what was I thinking? This doesn't make me happy at all. I remember sitting with my wife early in the wee hours of morning crying together. What did we do? Why? Why? Because in that moment, we think that is going to make us happiest. So then you get to that point, if I get this house, that's going to make me happy. If I get this car, that is going to make me happy. And am I ever assuaged? Am I ever fully happy? No, no. Let me put it this way. We're always reaching for the carrot in front of us, right? And you know what? What's right behind that carrot? Another carrot. Because just about the time you think you get what you want and you're perfectly happy, there's something else right in front of you. And you, and you get the carrot and you're like, oh, no. And you, and, and you go right back at it. Because you think contentment is tied up in the physical, earthly world in which we live. What we fail to realize, that's exactly like a five-year-old, right? We're living our lives like a five-year-old. Have you ever gone to the grocery store or watched a five-year-old in a grocery store? Oh my goodness, I do not miss those days. Because you're walking down the aisle and you're like, I want that, I want that. Okay, my mom worked really hard at this, so we'd go into the grocery store, we'd go into Fisher's. First thing she'd give me is the little box of circus animal cookies. Anybody remember those? Every time I went to the grocery store, shut up, take this, I'm going to shop. We didn't have the eagle's nest like they used to have at, at Giant Eagle. My mom relied on those cookies I was in the store the other day. I'm like, oh, there's those cookies. <laughs> I, I am like conditioned. And, and the thing, my, I'll go to the store with my wife and she's like, here, have some cookies. I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> my mom trained me that way. It's really weird. But it, 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 is, it is understanding that what we see and what we are constantly grasping for, and we can get off kilter. We may think that we are making godly decisions and then we can take one misstep and then start for that carrot again. I think that's what happened with Solomon. I think that man was deeply contented. If you read Song of Solomon, what a beautiful book about his love for this woman. It is incredible and it is graphic. But I think at some point, he stopped pursuing what God had right in front of him, and he saw a carrot, and he started going for it. And just like every one of us, once you go for that first carrot, another carrot's going to be right behind it, and you're going to find yourself down a road you never, ever expected. The first characteristic is that 
False wisdom is earthly. It's all about the things we see around us, just out of the reach. The next, we see that it is unspiritual. This says that there, there's no room in your life for God. Rather, it's, it's wisdom based on how I feel and what I desire. And this is probably one of the most dangerous ones, especially if you're married. I, I, I think it's fair to say, you wake up in the morning, you've been married a while, and you look at your spouse, and it's not all sunshine and buttercups, right? It is it's a very real world, right? You had a fight before you went to bed, and you wake up, you're like, oh my goodness, we never resolved that fight. And as soon as their eyes open, it's going to go ding, ding, back on, and, and, and this is what leads so many people to say, oh, I'm not happy with, with this right now, so I'm going to go over here. And this, the grass is greener over here with this person, and it's all going to be much better. And this is what draws people out of a very godly path into a very ungodly way, destroying not only their marriage, but their family. And the thing is so apart from God, because God is constant, God is consistent, and our desires are constantly changing. The argument and fight is going to end, especially if you have enough godly wisdom to deal with the problem and apologize about the situation. Final is that characteristic is demonic. That's a, that's a heavy word. We don't, we don't like to talk about Satan. We don't like to talk about demons, but it is a very real part of the world that we may not see. I, I love that the Bible gives us an understanding of, of what happened with Satan. The fact that he was at one point up in heaven with God, and he looked and he says, you know what? I'm going to be better than he is. I'm going to take him down. God's like, nope. Satan, third of the angels, down on earth. And ever since then, his singular plan is to get us to have that same kind of selfish pride in our lives and try to do the same thing, thinking that if I just follow what he wants, I'm going to be happy I'm going to be content. And, and, and his path is constantly leading to that next carrot. And the interesting things about those three characteristics, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, is a similar picture to what John gives us. He reinforces this. He warns us against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life. All three things that, that we see surrounded in the characteristics there. So what, what is the result? I want to get to godly wisdom, so let's deal with this result. And he says, verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That word disorder, it means 
instability, a state of confusion, disarray. And that just reminds me of the world I see around me today. When I look at the news and what's going on, I I see more people yelling and shouting at the sky, so angry, attacking people. I see chaos. And let's just boil it all down. It is from making earthly decisions. Decision based out of jealousy, based out of selfishness, based out of pride. The result is disorder. And he says, every vile practice. And you know what that is? That is the broadest category that he could give for evil in the world around us. Families falling apart, lives destroyed, people very mixed up. Let me ask you, have you ever wondered why bad things happen to good people? Right? I have had that question probably more in my years of ministry than any other singular question. Why did this bad thing happen to my family member? Why, why was I abused like this? That is such a great question. A very legitimate question. And it all goes back to earthly wisdom. You see, God, God is not the author of those things. God is not the author of hate, murder, betrayal, affairs, genocide, all the, the abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, all that, God is not the author of any of that. That is not who he is. We're gonna see that even clearer when we come into godly wisdom. But what this is, those things are a result of man's relentless pursuit of self. That's where all this stuff comes from. It comes from being in an extremely broken world. Humanity's fall did so much damage. Disease and death, all of that is the result of rejecting godly wisdom. The servant convinced Eve she couldn't trust God. She couldn't accept what he wanted. And so she rejected God's wisdom and chose to follow the serpent, Satan. That is false wisdom. Wisdom apart from God. Wisdom that thinks only of self. So here comes the difference. Didn't want to leave you with that kind of a heavy, depressing thing. I want to take a look at the things that I want in my life. So what is the motivation, the characteristics, and the results of godly wisdom? Quickly, the motivation we find in the beginning of verse 17, he says, but wisdom from above, first of all, is pure. It comes from purity, lack of sin. And I don't know about you, but my life has been a a valiant struggle with sin, but... At some point in my life, I had to deal with that sin with God. I had to deal with that sin with Christ. I had to come with him and go, I have been trying to fix this myself. I just keep making the muck worse, keep digging the ditch deeper, and I don't realize what I'm doing. It is such a tragic mistake. I'm hurting those around me, and I think everything is going okay, but I am lying to myself. 
God, I have sin that has ruled over me. And I know what Christ did. Christ died for the sins of humanity, took all the sins upon himself. And all I have to do is to receive his finished work on the cross. And you will put his innocence and replace that with my, my sin. It's a switch. It's the great exchange. So if the motivation is purity, the motivation is found in a relationship with the Lord. Because apart from him, I cannot make good, healthy, godly decisions in my life. It is God who helps me do that. Because in that humility of seeking salvation, there, there is so much power in acknowledging that I cannot do it myself, but I need God in helping making these decisions. So my motivation is purity out of a heart that has been forgiven. And what's my other great motivation? My other great motivation that no one likes to talk about is there is more to life than this. There is way more to life than this. If this is all there is, this is terrible. Eternity is a long time. This is a blip on the screen, right? We're talking 10,000, 100,000 years. Eternity. My life here on earth, the decisions I make, affect that eternity. That is why I need Christ. That is why I need to go out and share the world. I need to share to the world about Christ. So what are the characteristics? Let me give you seven. Seven characteristics. He said, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. And the interesting thing about him listing these is they parallel what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not gonna read those verses, but I'm gonna go quickly through these and see these are things that we should value and want in our lives. And these things are characteristic of a life of godly wisdom. Number one, it's peaceable. Godly wisdom does not Perpetuate conflict out of selfishness, but is filled with peace found in humility. Matthew 5, 9. It is gentle. Godly wisdom is patient and courteous and considerate of others and is willing to submit to dishonor, abuse, and mistreatment because... That pure heart values people over themselves. That is a really hard one for us to grasp because the instant we are wronged, we want revenge. We want to make it right. But God's the one who said vengeance is his. Let him deal with it because what he's going to do is far worse than anything I can come up with. And so oftentimes I get caught up in this cycle of I've got to get revenge for what has, what's been done to me. It's so wrong. They've wronged my family. They have wronged me. I am going to get them back. That is not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom 
is found in peace and gentleness. Listen, 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, to be patient with difficult people, gently instructing those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change the people's heart and they will learn the truth. The next one is, is open to reason. You know, James opened up in the beginning of the book, chapter one, verse 19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Do you feel that you can talk to people about challenging things today? I don't know about you, but I'm afraid of opening a can of worms and people just, people just lash out all the time. That is not godly wisdom. That is not a characteristic. A person who is open to reason is willing to talk. It's willing to communicate. It's willing to get past the hate and is teachable, not stubborn, willing to listen, willing to communicate with others. It's full of mercy. It handles being hurt and mistreated, but yet having the desire that no matter who hurts you, this is a hard one for people who have faced abuse, no matter who hurts you, coming to the point of godly wisdom and godliness in your life is going, I wanna pray for that person because I understand what they did to me is wrong. They need Jesus in their life. The dramatic change of salvation. Good fruits. We see Galatians 5, and 23, the list of the fruits of the Spirit, other things that our life should be characterized by. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that godly wisdom pursues and is filled with. And again, it's so easy to take your eyes off and start reaching for the carrot that is going to lead us into disorder and everything else. It is impartial. It treats every single person the same, no matter who comes into our lives. We don't show favoritism. We don't show kindness over one person over another. We open our pantry because there is a need in the community and God calls us to love and serve those who have those kind of needs and to show no partiality. And that is what we pursue with that pantry. No impartiality. And finally, it is sincere. It is without hypocrisy. And God's wisdom doesn't play to the crowd isn't telling one person one way and living the complete opposite way. That is not godly wisdom. That is earthly wisdom. So what are the results of true wisdom? And he says in verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Another translation, I like this translation, it says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It doesn't say in, in the original language anything about seed. It talks more about sowing fruit. You know, the Bible talks a lot about seed and sowing, but the idea of sowing fruit is taking that overflow that God has placed in our lives and we pour it out to others. That mercy that gentleness, 
that kindness, that self-control, all of those things, those fruits, those characteristics, those are the things that we put out on others because those people will take that fruit, grow it in their lives, and again, pass it on. That is what we're called to do. It's not that we're called to keep everything close. Remember, he opens it up, says, if you think you're wise, you think you have understanding, you are to show it. Because we are to have an impact in the world. People should look at our lives, at our work, in our family, on those people around us, living around us, should look at us and see the godly wisdom coming out of our lives. We're taking that fruit and we're passing it on to others. How are you on the inside this morning? 